0: You are listening to The Overflow Podcast, a ministry of First Denton. For more information on Overflow, please visit overflowdenton.org. Hey,
1: if you got a Bible or a Bible app, John chapter
0: 21. We'll start in verse 4 John chapter 21. We'll start in verse 4 here in just a second. If you don't have a Bible or Bible app, probably somebody around you has one. They'd love for you to look at it with them. John chapter 21 starting in verse 4. As you're turning there, let me just say a couple things. Uh, I'm excited to be back here. For those of you who don't know, my name is Wade. I'm from Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, I'll be here for the next few weeks, but le- le- let me just say this. For those of you who don't know me, so I can just kind of clean it off. Number one, I talk really fast. Not a nervous habit. My life has been changed by Jesus, so you're going to see I really enjoy doing what I do. And at the end, if I talk fast and you listen fast, we get out of here quicker. Uh, number two, I don't wear shoes when I preach. It's, listen, it's... it's God got my attention with the whole standing on holy ground thing a long time ago, so I don't wear shoes when I preach. If that offends you, I don't care at all.
1: <laughs> um,
0: because it's a biblical thing, and so it should be that way. Uh, and then I say like this, I'm a rebel by nature. And when I say that, I guess biblically, if you want to get super spiritual, we're like all rebels by nature because we're born that way. But you hear my heart. And I try to tell people when I kind of re-engage with them, I, I did not grow up in church. Uh, The first time I ever entered the doors of a church, I was 13 years old, and and I've said it, and Jane Woods heard it many times it was the weirdest place I'd ever been in my entire life. And and that's not even being disrespectful. I had friends from school saying, wait, come to our church, it's the greatest thing ever. Come to our church, it's the coolest place ever. And I showed up in a room with 2,000 people with the saddest faces I've ever seen in my life, with the most bored looks I'd ever seen in my life. And I'm well aware that, like, I, I know, like, I'm an adult male, and adults are like, you know, churches for hurting people. But you don't have to hurt every Sunday of your life for crying out loud. <laughs> when Jesus changes you, I promise, every once in a while, you get excited about him. And that is the hope that we focus on who Jesus is. It's interesting because I tell people this, and, and you'll probably hear it if you hear me over the next few weeks. Uh, I've got two daughters, even and Trinity. They're 10 and 14. And, and here's what's weird for me, and I, and I thought about this a little while ago. I, I think I was smart until I had children. And when I say that to you, because a lot of times you think your parents are crazy and they're dumb, but here, here's what I figured out. You made them that way. And I'm <laughs> gonna tell you yeah. how it started off. And I, I'm serious, I think I was actually smart. I mean, I had, I had like a master's degree with going toward a doctorate and stuff. And I was like, man, I'm, I'm the man. And I was smart until my oldest daughter became like five or six years old and she started asking me questions that I knew the answers to, but I could not explain them for the life of me. I mean, I mean, just small things like, you know, we're driving in the car and my wife was like, Hey, we need to pray. We need to pray for Susie. She's very vulnerable right now. And for the backseat, you know, he was like, what's vulnerable? And I go, vulnerable means you're not feeling good. She goes, what's not feeling good? Well, not feeling good means you're down. What's down mean? You know what? Come to think of it, I don't know what vulnerable means. <laughs> and, and that's kind of how it went down. I mean, she and her sister, when she got older, were playing. And she's four years older than her sister. And, and there's always a fight going on. And it's always like the older sister hanging something away from the younger sister. And and, and I remember, Ethan, well, you've got to learn to fight fair. She's four years younger than you. And she was like, what's fair? And I go, fair means you're even. She goes, what's even? Even means you're 50-50. What does that mean? I don't even know what it means We're <laughs> And then it went further, it was, What too long ago, I was like, you know what? I screamed the house, I just, I just love life. And from the other end of the house, what's life? And I know life means you're breathing. She goes, what's breathing? Breathing means you're living. What's living? I don't know what it means. <laughs> and I'm gonna tell you what I figured out in that moment. It was just a span of about three months, but I figured out that I actually don't have much figured out. (laughs) I mean, there was a moment, and I'm being serious, there was a moment where I thought, man, my life is ahead of me, I've I've got it all right there, and and I've got the degrees, and and I'm there, and I started to figure out that in my life, I don't really have it all figured out. Here's what I figured out, that that happens in the Christian life too. When it comes to Christianity, it's kind of interesting, it's like Zach was speaking on last week, You get to the point that you realize you've done a whole bunch of stuff, and then you start to read Paul say, but I counted all as lost. You know what that means? The stuff you do doesn't always matter. And there's that point that we think that we've got it all under control, but then we get to that place in life that we go, wait, wait, have I even done anything in life? Even in the Christian life. It's interesting. My favorite person to read about in the Bible is Peter and when I say that, hold on, let's get spiritual Jesus is my favorite person to read about (laughs) apart from that let's say it like this I I like to talk about Peter for this reason we get him he's the dude that messed up I mean you read through scripture and you're always like, okay, Paul goes on an island and like accidentally leads a hundred people to the Lord, that's not real life (laughs) but you come across Peter and he gets mad one day and cuts this guy's ear off I get that (laughs) <laughs> he, 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 he says to somebody, I'm not going to deny you. And he doesn't. And, and I get that. And it's interesting because I remember reading in his life, and, and if you don't know it, Peter was a fisherman. And, and, and there was a point to where Jesus came up to him. And he comes up behind him and says, hey, Peter, throw down your nets. Because that's how they would fish in that day. Throw down your nets. I want you to stop being a fisher of fish. And now I want you to be a fisher of men. And the Bible says... He immediately threw down his net and he followed Jesus. That sounds real spiritual, but it's always bothered me to read that. Because, I mean, everybody in the scriptures always seemed to immediately follow Jesus. And I'm the guy that can I pray about it for a couple of days. And I'm being serious. But it's that point where you're like, well, what if the world gets him to that place? That Jesus just taps him on the shoulder and he says, man, I'm all in. And if you start to do a study, you, you, you can probably figure it out. Peter was Jewish, and he grew up Jewish. And if you ever do a study back in that day, almost every Jewish boy, literally about 96% of them, when they were growing up, they all wanted one job. One. And it wasn't to be a fisherman. Their job that they attained, that they really wanted, was to be a teacher of the law. That was the top thing. It was to be a rabbi. And they would all go to rabbinical school at a very young age. They would have memorized the first book of the Bible or the book of the law by the time they were 10 and by the time they were 14, they had memorized the entire Torah, five books of the Bible, not five verses, but by the time they were 14, five books of the Bible. And there was that point upon graduation because they graduated rabbinical school at 14 that a bunch of rabbis would come in, and they were going to take interns, because you know that word, but they would call them apprentices back then, but they would take interns, and they would come up and say this, hey, you know what, there's a bunch of you guys out here, and imagine there's like 600 of you, and there's like 30 of us that are here that are rabbis, and I would stand up and say, you know what, do you memorize scripture quicker than anybody else? I, I, you know what, I'm going to pick you, you're my intern. Somebody else would come up and say, I like your attitude in class, so I'm going to I'm going to pick you. You're going to be my intern. And literally it would go down. I picked you. I picked you. I picked you. And for the rest of you that didn't get picked, go get a job. That's literally how it went down. And you can imagine the letdown of studying for four or five years. Imagine studying for four or five years in college and doing everything you can, and everything you're supposed to do to get a college degree, and then they say this, you don't get one. And all of a sudden, here Peter is, and he decides to do what every other kid did. He went and got a job, became a fisherman. And by the way, he was a really good one because he was a commercial fisherman. And there was that point in his life that he's doing nothing more than his job. And Jesus comes up to him. And in case you don't know it, Jesus is the greatest rabbi of all time, the greatest teacher of the law. And he taps Peter on the shoulder and he says, This, Hey Peter, I want you to throw down your nets. Stop being a fisher of fish, fisher of fish, and now I'm asking you to follow me and be a fisher of men. You can imagine what happens in his brain right there. Wait, 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 wait. All my life I've been told I'm not good enough. It's almost like Jesus comes up to him and says, you were told you weren't good enough. Guess what? Now that you're an adult, I tell you, you are good enough. It's almost like Peter saying, I've been waiting my entire life on this one. And he throws down his nets and he follows Jesus. I mean, with a passion. And when I say with a passion, yeah, he messed up. I get that. He cuts the guy's ear off. He denied Jesus three times. He had a lot of passion, but he follows Jesus, his friend, his mentor, his savior, to the point to where Jesus basically dies in front of his face and there's that place where he's trying to figure out what do I do now it's like that moment when you had a mentor in your life and they taught you everything and they say now it's time to go off and you go what, in, what am I supposed to do and that's where we pick up John chapter 21 starting in verse 4 all of a sudden Peter's trying to figure out and what does he do he goes back to fishing of course because that's what he knows but here's what it says in verse 4 Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, do you have any fish? No, they answered. And he said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about 100 yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard, dragged them net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Some of the disciples... They said, none of the disciples dared ask him, who were you? For they knew it was the Lord. They took the bread, did the same with the fish, and they put it there with with the coals on it. This is the third time that Jesus had appeared to the disciples since he had raised from the dead. And after they had finished eating, he said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said, Jesus, yes, you know that I love you. He said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, well, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because he asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things and you know that I love you. And Jesus said, well, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth that when you were younger and you dressed yourself, you went where you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will address you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. It's interesting. When, when you take this passage. You're starting start to realize that if you want to be who God wants you to be, and, and and we all want to do that. If you want to be truly who God wants you to be at some point in your life, we're all going to have to go on the same progression that Peter went on right here. I, I don't mean in his whole life, but I mean just in this moment right here, when you read those verses, it's almost like a progression of what I'm going to say, godliness, that we have to go from point A to point B to point C. And I think that if we understand what Peter went through and what the scriptures saying, it can not only change what you're going to deal with in college, but it can literally change the rest of your life. But what is it that you need to understand? If you're taking notes, just write down just a few thoughts. If you're not taking notes, think about it like this. If we are going to leave this place tonight and say, God, just like Peter, we're all in. We're throwing the nets down and we are ready to be the way you've called us to be. Number one, you need to recognize Jesus. You've got to recognize Jesus. If you notice in the passage in verse 4, it said they were standing on the shore and they did not realize that it was Jesus. When he said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. And they had a huge catch. It said he looked at Simon Peter and said this, it is the Lord. You start to continue on and you start to realize he says the power things. None of them dared to ask him, who are you? For they knew it was the Lord. In other words... Jesus had died. They were all distraught. What are we going to do with our lives? And at that one moment, they recognized him. And unless you recognize Jesus for who He is, no way you move to a place of Godliness in your life. It doesn't happen. And you say, "Well, then, what, what do I got to recognize?" Because the problem is, we live in a day where there's all kinds of denominations we've got you know crazy worship fun worship sad worship we've got everything you can imagine what do you land on and here's what i would just say if we just kind of go to the bible instead of culture you're going to find out you recognize jesus because when he moves he moves in power every single time every single time it's an interesting passage, but if you still got your Bibles open, I'll show you this. But he said that Simon Peter climbed aboard, dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many the net was not torn. That's an interesting verse. You say, how in the world did we get the number 153? Listen, when we were in seminary, and I was in seminary, we were we were taught, when you see a number different than six, which is the bad number, and seven, which is the good number, your antennas need to go up. 153. Did we In seminary, we do nothing but sit around and just debate things for three
1: weeks.
0: (laughs) Literally, we sat around. I I promise you, for three weeks, what do you think 150 days is 153 more visions that Jesus is going to give us? Is it 153 more days before Jesus is going to show up again? And we literally went through this at every possible angle, and we figured out at the end of three weeks, the 153 number just represented how many fish they caught. Like, that's it. (laughs) (laughs) But I think it's there for you and I to understand one thing. But here's, here's what it says. There was a large number of fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. What's the connotation? The net was supposed to be torn. It's almost like if there were instructions, it would say, after 87 fish, this net's gonna rip apart. And they're looking at it and they're going, whoa, 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 Peter's the fisherman. Hey guys, I'm counting these because you don't get this. The net's not supposed to be holding together. Like this isn't normal. They don't get it because they're not the fishermen. He said, you don't get it. The net is still not torn apart. And it's supposed to be torn apart. And my question to you tonight would be this. How in the world did the net hold together when the net was supposed to be torn apart? And this is what I would say to you. Because Jesus is really good at holding nets together. <laughs> <laughs> and I am to say this to you with passion. You do realize that Jesus is powerful enough to hold a net together when it's supposed to be torn, don't you? Say it again. You do recognize that Jesus is powerful enough to hold a net together when it's supposed to be torn, right?
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> a lot of bad people are Okay. <laughs> you do understand that Jesus is powerful enough to hold a net together when it's supposed to be torn, right?
1: Yeah. Yes.
0: You're almost there.
1: <laughs> Jesus is powerful
0: enough to hold a net together when it's supposed to be torn, right?
1: Yes.
0: Let me say this to you. If he's that powerful, he can help you overcome depression as well.
1: Come on.
0: If He's that powerful, He can allow you to understand that even though somebody's broken up with you, you will be loved again. Yeah.
1: Come on.
0: In other words, there's a point to where you and I tend to forget. The verses that we have in the Bible that say things like, wait, He's so powerful He can do more than we can pray for or even think about. Consider that for a second. It's almost like God plays games with us. I mean, I mean think about this. If you look at the beginning of this, it was like Jesus asked, "Uh, have y'all caught any fish? He knew they hadn't caught any fish. (laughs) (laughs) And they're like, well, no, sir, we haven't caught any fish. Uh, Why don't you throw your net on the other side of the boat? (laughs) It's almost like he toys with people. I would say to you like this. I just think we do that sometimes. We have expectations spiritually that are so low, I think it offends God sometimes. And you know how I know that? We sit around and say, God, we are going to pray that three people get saved at youth camp. I said, I do youth camps also. Three people get saved. It's almost like God saying, why don't I just go ahead and say 90 and get you to shut up? Really? <laughs> and he's not trying to be mean. He's trying to stretch us. If you and I sit down and pray and say, God, I am asking you to do this. When you get done with prayer, know that God can double down and double that prayer. That's how powerful he is. And when you recognize him as being that God, it starts to change everything. I, I, I saw it like this. I, I've run 19 marathons in my life, and it's interesting because uh, there was probably about number four or five. I got asked, I live in Birmingham, Alabama, to come and to run a race with a team that they were putting together. mayor's office called me up and said this. Can you please go with a team to Mabashi, Japan? It's a town of 400,000 people going to Tokyo. And I said, well, why do you want me to go to my boss? And how you him my phone number? And they were like, listen, we're getting a team together. We're a sister-sister-like little relationship with them. And they come run our marathon, and we need to send some people run their marathon. And I said, I can't do it. And they said, why? Well, I said, listen, I, I travel 150 to 200 days a year. I travel a bunch. And I can't leave my family for a week to go run a race. I mean, I can justify I'm going to speak to some college students or something. or..." God can save some people, but to do that, I just can't do it. And they say, oh, well, no, it's important that you go. I go, why me? I'm not the fastest person in Birmingham. And they go, no, 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 you don't understand. We saw on your website that you're a professional speaker, and here's the deal. There's a point where there's going to be 100 government officials uh, one night in this banquet for y'all, and we need you to speak to them and say, welcome from Birmingham. I said, you read my biograph, going to information incorrectly. I'm not a professional speaker. I'm a minister of the gospel of Christ, not even good at that most of the time. I'm just trying every day. And they said, well, can you just still go and just say, welcome from Birmingham? And I said, do you understand something? And they go, what? I said, I need to help you save yourself. Do you understand that I'm a minister of the gospel of Christ? And he goes, right. You're asking me to speak to 100 Buddhist guys. And you're telling me to speak. And he goes, well, you can say whatever you want. Just say, welcome from Birmingham or something. I said, bro, you're not even understanding what's happening. (laughs) So I told him, no. The guy's persistent. Because two days later, he says, by the way, when you decide to go,
1: <laughs>
0: you're going to need to take a hundred gifts. Because they're all going to give you a gift. And I went, bro, well, okay, listen, I'm out for sure now. I mean, it's going to cost me money. And he said, no, no, that could be a little gift. It's no big deal. But you, you have to swap gifts. And I go, well, I, what? I don't, I've never been to Japan. Well, what am I supposed to give them? he goes, dude, you don't understand. We don't care what you give them. I mean, can you say walking from Birmingham at some point? So at this point, I decided I am to push the envelope just a hair. And I said, hey, let, let me ask you a question. See, so my ministry does these things called the Journey Bible Study Series. We go through books of the Bible, just expository Bible studies. No, no illustrations, just verse by verse. We read the Bible, explain it to you, and tell you how to apply it to your life. Because my whole mission is you cannot live what you don't know. And I said, is there any way I could give these people those books of the Bible? The guy goes, bro, you don't understand. Give them whatever you want. Just say, welcome from Birmingham. <laughs> So I'll go to my wife and we prayed a prayer because I didn't know what to do. And I said, I don't even know what to pray. So the only thing that came to my mind was this, hey God, could you do something huge? I got over there, we spent a couple of days sightseeing, ran the race, went okay. Then it was go time for me. I mean, I stood up on a stage, they've got an interpreter, I'm sitting there for front of a hundred, and I'm thinking, dude, this is like revival time right here. And I'm doing my thing, man. I'm preaching, doing what I can do. But I'm, I'm going to tell you something, you're going to laugh at it. But I'm being dead serious. I mean, all these like Japanese men are like shaking their head and smiling. And I'm thinking, something's not matching. And then I figure out I'm speaking English to Japanese guys through an Italian translator. Like, it's like, something's missing. But they all just keep shaking their head. And I get done. And I'm walking around with all these men. And finally, this guy comes up to me and goes, hey, man, is there any way you and your team could go help my daughter, she speaks, she, she does an English-speaking class about a mile from here downtown. I said, bro, we're halfway across the world. We've got nothing to do. Let's go. <laughs> we go in there. There's, there's ages nine to probably 70, probably 70 or 80 people in this room. And this lady, Japanese-speaking, I mean, perfect English to them. I mean, no accent at all. Kind of freaked me out. I said, hey, hey, wait, are you from Japan or are you from America? And she goes, no, I'm, I'm from Mabashi. I'm from here, but I, I went to university in America. I said, I mean, where did you live when you were over there? She goes, I lived in Utah. I said, well, I've been to Utah. Where in Utah have you been? And she goes, well, it's this tiny town you've never heard of. I think sometimes we never give God credit for going ahead of us 20 years. Because it's interesting. When I was in college, I was roommates with this singer dude named Charles Billingsley. He's kind of a like, old-timey singer guy, but he's got a really good voice. And I didn't have anywhere to go because I didn't have a family. I didn't have anywhere to go for Christmas. So my senior year of college, uh, his dad was the executive director of the Utah-Idaho Baptist Convention. And he asked us to preach a one-day revival at this little bitty town. And I asked her, I said, well, where in Utah did you live? She goes, "This is a little place called Price, Utah. I said, that's interesting. The only time I've been there, I've preached it. First Baptist Price, Utah. And so we just started to talk. She said, oh, you've been there? And we just, hey, it it, it was a connection that happened. And finally, I just looked at her and I said, hey, are you, are you a Christian? She goes, no, 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 I'm I'm Mormon. I thought, oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you can't strike out more than I struck out. (laughs) I finally looked at her and I said, you're married, right? She goes, yeah. I said, hey, listen, my ministry does these things called the Journey Bible Society. Can I just give these to you and your husband? And she was like, yeah, thank you. And that was my trip.
1: And when I say that, you were waiting for some
0: cool punchline, right? I mean, I got home and my wife was like, "How did it go?" And I went,
1: eh.
0: <laughs> "I mean, I like to expect big things." And, like, eh. and I felt that way for like a week until I got an email, and it's interesting because I got an email from that lady, and here's what she says. I kept the email. She says this. She said, "Hey, wait, thank you so much for those Bible study studies My husband and I love them." As a matter of fact, she goes, I've needed some tools to help me teach people English. And so what I've decided, since I'm the only person that teaches these 400,000 people English, is I'm going to teach the people English by going through the journey Bible studies. She goes, they're going to have to listen to a sentence in English, translate it into Japanese. And in that moment, as I was reading that, here's what I thought. I just got a Mormon to require Buddhists to learn the Bible. <laughs>
1: Dude!
0: I'm saying that to you to put me down for a second. I'm not smart enough to come up with that idea. (laughs) Listen, ministers are very intentional. If if I'd have known that was gonna happen, I'd have gone to every church. You've got to give me money. We're gonna give out as many Bibles as we see as possible. Here's the weird thing. I knew to do one thing. God, could you do something huge? And He did, by the way. Come on. If you recognize Jesus. As being that person who can do more than you're even asking for. You're on the first step of going where you need to be with him. But not only do you need to recognize Jesus, if you're taking notes number two, then you need to love him. You need to love him. There's a familiar passage that a lot of you have heard preached on. But for those of you who haven't heard it preached on, just, those of you who have heard it, just just give me a minute or two. But it's, it's interesting because there's a passage of about four verses where Peter and Jesus are having a conversation. And he asks some interesting questions, but he says this. He says, hey, Peter, can I ask you a question? Do you love me? And his answer was, yes, Lord, I love you. He asked him the second time, do you love me? Yes, I love you. The third time, do you love me? Lord, you know that I love you. Now, here's the, you you've heard it preached so many times, but those of you who don't know, if you read this and you don't understand it, it sounds like Jesus can't hear one. <laughs> If you look and you study New Testament, written in Greek, mostly, in the Greek language, there are different words for love. There is agape, which is perfect love. It's God's love for us. There is phileo, which is friendship love. It's how we love each other, by the way. If you translated this, and there's more to it than what I'm about to tell you. But here's in general how it was going. Jesus and Peter were having a conversation, and he said, Peter... Do you agape me? And Peter's response was, I phileo you. No, 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 let me ask you again. Do you agape me? No, I phileo you. Let me put it in your language for a second. Peter, do you love me? And Peter's response was, Jesus, I like you a lot. He said, no, 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 let me ask you the second time. That's why I went down. I asked, do you love me? Didn't I just tell you how much I liked you? So he asked the third time, no, 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 no. Do you love me? See, I love the fact, and I'm not even, no pun intended. I love the fact that Jesus loves us enough to corner us and to say, "Hey, hey, let's get past the surface of the conversation for a second. He's putting him right there at that place and saying, we need to get somewhere. You and I live a world that sometimes when you're in a conversation and they're not getting it, you're just happy you don't have to go for another seven minutes. Jesus is like, no, 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 no. Listen, Peter, I need to know if you love me. Peter, understand, just went through denying him three times. You say, what was Peter doing on the shore? Can I be honest with you? He was looking for a job. He just went from disciple to I don't know what I'm going to do now. Jesus is gone, so I guess I'm going to throw my nets out again. He's confused. He's trying to figure out life. He just graduated, like, college and doesn't have a job yet. And he's going, what in the world is going to happen at this point? And he's like, no, no, I've got to get you in a place that you understand that you need to love for me. And you say, well, why was that so important? I think, I think sometimes we forget that Jesus knows the greatness that's going to come from our lives. See, I'm well aware that tonight some of you just need to be healed on the inside. I know that some of you have so much anxiety, all you need is just to breathe. But Jesus never stops there. Jesus is always saying, no, 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 I need to get you to a place that you I want you to breathe, but I know what your life is going to be like in I say this in a fun way when I look at my Bible and you see that he's having this conversation with Peter it's almost like you would ask the question why in the world is he trying to get this right with Peter because Jesus knows that t- like two pages later Peter's going to preach the pentecost the problem is Peter didn't know see it's kind of like what Jay Wood was just saying we all go through these tough times and we have these like funky times in life and we cannot see the light of, of the name of tunnel The worst thing that you can say to somebody sometimes is this, it's going to
1: be okay, I promise. (laughs)
0: Because here's what I found out in life, this is just me, maybe it's not you. When it doesn't feel like it's okay, I can't see it's going to be okay. You see, I found out that sometimes I don't need you to explain things to me, I just need you to sit with me. I've got a friend of mine that has a great statement, but he says, We know how to do things for God, but we don't know how to sit with the Father. We know how to troubleshoot things. Oh, no, 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 I know what to do there. But sometimes you just need me to sit there and cry with you. He's trying to get Peter to a place that Peter gets past liking him and loving him. And listen, it's important that you understand this. There is a huge difference in you and I liking Jesus and loving him. Massive difference. And I'm going to go further. There's a difference in you and I loving Jesus and being in love with him. The call of discipleship is at some point, you go from life to love to being in love. The problem is, I can't completely explain all that to you. If you go to Barnes & Noble, some bookstore, you know what you're going to find out? Go to the love section. Girls, because guys don't ever go But if you go... <laughs> If you go to the love section, you know what you're going to find out? There's easily 500 different books on how to keep the passion going in a relationship. How to keep the love going. You know what I found out as you walk down there? There's not one book written on how to fall in love. Have you ever noticed that? Because nobody can tell you how to do it. It just happens. And he's trying to say to Peter here, Peter, listen I have got a will for your life. You're about to preach, and 3,000 people are going to be saved. I need to get you somewhere. I'll say to you, it's amazing to me what you and I do to each other to prove that we love each other. But when it comes to how we prove to God we love Him, it, it's so menial sometimes. And you say, what do you mean? First John says, how do you prove to God you love Him? By obeying His commands. Most of us, and it's not because we're bad people, it's what we're talking about. Most of us prove to God we love Him by going to church on Sundays. If you really love God, you, like, come to overflow or some kind of Bible study. Then if you're really, like, if you're, like, really loving Him and stuff, you go on a mission trip every year. Can I just say this? All of that stuff is good. I just think it's got to be more than that. And I can't explain it to you. All I know is we go to great lengths for each other to make each other smile, to make each other happy. What are we doing in our relationship? Because that's what it is. A relationship with Jesus. Are we just tipping a hat to Him and saying, I like you? I- I'll say it to you like this because it's a fun story, but I've had different interns with me that would travel throughout the years. There was this guy named Chris, really good guy, but outgoing. And then, while we were on the road, he met this girl named Lindy, and I knew they hit it off, man. I mean, it was awesome, became boyfriend, girlfriend, long distance relationship, became like close distance relationship. Then I heard after you graduate college that they got they got engaged. I was like, cool. I was leaving my house one time to go catch a plane, to come somewhere like this, and and I saw him call her ID as my phone was ringing, That it was was Chris, and I I picked it up, and I thought, he just wants to tell me he's engaged. And I said, hey, man, what's going on? He says, hey, bro, how are you doing? I said, fine. He said, man, I'm praying for your ministry. Hey, man, do you have a few minutes? And I said, man, actually, I don't. I got to go catch a plane. He said, "Uh, man, I wanted you to know that Lindy and I got engaged. I said, bro, congratulations. So pumped for you. Man, it's going to be awesome. Anything I can do for you, let me know. And he said, but do you have a few minutes? And I said, man, I just told you I really don't. But what do you need? He said, I just wanted to tell you our engagement story. I said, hey, dude, here's the deal. I'm a dude. <laughs> Which means I, I don't care about your engagement story. There's not many dudes in the world who go, oh, that rain. tell me, please. <laughs> Guys don't do that. Girls don't. Don't go retreats to do that. That's <laughs> awesome. And I said, bro, why do you think I want to hear your engagement story? And here's what he said because I have the greatest engagement story you're ever going to hear. Now, I am a dude, which means I'm competitive. (laughs) And I thought through my engagement story and thought mine's pretty good. So I said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do, brother. Chris, start talking, and if I ever get bored with your story, I'm just going to hang up on you. (laughs) He goes, okay, I'm going to tell you the end of this to get there. He's got the greatest engagement story I've ever heard in my life. (laughs) He was from Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Lindy ended up living down there too. It was interesting because they were going to this church and there was a couple of like elders in the church that worked in New York City and they planned it all out where everybody could be there. But he told Lindy's mom, wake her up at 5 a.m. and he picked her up, put a blindfold on her, had a backpack and said, we're going to go on a trip. She goes, where are we going? Not going to tell you. Blindfold on, they go to the airport. They get on the plane, she's blindfolded. Flew for two hours to New York City, blindfolded. He's kind of a freak the OCD. (laughs) Got off the plane blindfolded. Got in a cab blindfolded.
1: They pulled out
0: of the cab 5th Avenue in New York City. He takes the blindfold off and says, well, tonight we're going to go out somewhere unbelievably special. He pulled out his wallet, gave her a credit card, and said, go buy whatever dress that you want for tonight. Now, most of you girls are like, I do.
1: I mean, most of you are like, you're handing me
0: credit card, I'm in. Like, we're done. She goes about to dress 54 stories up at the NBC Towers, the Rainbow Room, real famous place. There's a, they're eating, and there's this 12-piece orchestra band playing, and unbelievably, they started to play Amazing Grace in the set. She's like, oh, she's a old shelter, She was like, I didn't know there were Christmas in New York City. <laughs> 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 And the guy, the band director, goes, hey, listen, please, please come to this guy named Chris. And he brings Lindy up in front of everybody. And he gets on his knees and says, Lindy, please, would you please, please, please marry I said, bro, you're the man. He goes, no, 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 I'm not done yet. I go, what do you mean? He goes, man, she said, yes. I put a ring on her finger. I stood up. I grabbed her hand. We walked to the elevator, went 54 stories down, and I had a horse and carriage waiting on the south side. You girls are digging this. Yeah. They got in the horse and carriage, and they started to go around Central Park. He was so intentional. He had every one of her friends write prayers for them. She was reading all of them, thinking, oh, this is amazing. They got all the way around the Tavern on the Green, that famous place, and they walk in, and he had flown both families up to celebrate this together. They get up the next day. They do a picnic in like Central Park. And then they go to the New York Yankee game. And on the seventh inning stretch, congratulations, Chris and Lindy. I said this to him, bro, you are the man. I said, dude, like like, that's the greatest engagement story I've ever heard in my life. But I want to help out a few dudes. As a married man, there's some things I've learned in life. You got to pace <laughs> yourself. Hey, listen, married men have a fraternity. Don't outdo my, my engagement story. And I looked at him and said, hey, bro, that is a great story. I, I do have a question for you. And he goes, what's that? I go, what are you going to do in your marriage to top that? He goes, what?
1: Bro, your marriage
0: is downhill.
1: Like.
0: <laughs> right, that's going to be better. No. And it was interesting because he, he kind of just, like, silence on the other oh, end of the line.
1: No. I thought, yeah, let me
0: just understand. <laughs> Listen, yeah. understand for all of you dudes in here that, like, don't have that, you know, you don't shoot as high as Chris, I mean, don't get engaged in Sonic. Do you understand what I'm saying?
1: <laughs> Forget the Sonic thing.
0: Yeah. So I said to him, bro, you, I can't believe you did. You just, like, what? And he started to stutter after 36 seconds. You know what, Mate? I didn't even think about that. He said, you know what? All I thought about was I wanted Lindy to have the greatest engagement story ever in the world. And then he said this I remember like a gesture. I don't know what I'm going to do in my marriage to her to top this, but it's going to be the joy of my life to try to top it forever because that's how much I learned. And listen.
1: I get it, I get it.
0: I'll say it to you like this. It is amazing to me what you and I will do to make each other feel like this. I'll get you flowers. You get some guy a present. You do little things like writing these notes. Can we do these things that are so special to prove to somebody you love them? I just. I, I, my question is that What have you done to prove to Jesus you love him lately? The question is, do you love him? Or do you just like him a bunch? Because I can promise you this. You cannot go to the next step unless you see him and then you fall in love with him, which leads to the third and last thing. Then you have to follow him. Now listen, I know we live in a day where you know that. To be a Christian is to be a follower of Jesus. So that doesn't seem a surprise to you. But verses 18 and 19 to me are probably the most morbid verses in all the Bible. If you read them, he's having a heart-to-heart talk with Peter. He says this, I tell you the truth, that when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. But when you were older, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will lead you where you do not want to go. This he said to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him follow me. Do you understand what he just said to Peter? Hey, Peter, I want you to follow me, but I need you to know the whole story. See, this is what I figured out in life, and most of you have figured this out too. True discipleship is not are you willing to follow Jesus when it's easy? Are you willing to follow him when it's tough? The starting of this relationship, here's what he says. Hey, Peter, here's the deal. Right now, and you're young. You go where you want. You do what you want. <laughs> That's awesome. Here's the deal. If you choose to follow me, you're going to go down a road that you don't want to go down. You're going to be old. You're going to stretch out your hand. They're going to lead you down a road that you don't want to go. That's what he said. This is to indicate the count of He told Peter how Peter was going to die. He said, Peter, if you follow me right now, and he's almost like trying to talk him out of it, if you follow me right now, you're gonna die the worst death than you could ever imagine. But by the way, I'll get glory from it. And then he says, "Do you want to follow me?" You see, we live in a day, and I'm one of those guys. Heads bowed, eyes closed. We do that invitation, right? Here's what Jesus said to Peter: Head up, eyes wide open. I want you to know exactly what I'm calling you to do. Because I think somewhere along the line. We've missed the fact that Christianity is not easy.
1: If somebody
0: told you Christianity was easy, they lied to you. It is the hardest call of your entire life. Why? You have to deny yourself forever. You know what that means? What you want is gone. He said to Peter, Peter, you're going to die a death that you don't want to die He's saying to some of you, if you're really willing to follow him and you want to go to place of godliness, it's going to be the greatest thing ever. But it might not be how you think it's going to look. I had to tell my daughter recently, because I was studying this and we were reading this together. And I said this. I said, honey, do you know those girls? She's 14. I said, do you know those girls that by the time they were eight, they were already planning out their wedding? She goes, Yeah, I've got some friends like that. And she's not like that. It doesn't mean it's bad. Do you know those girls that already have they like, they've drawn out their dress and stuff? She goes, Yeah.
1: Uh-huh.
0: I think what Jesus is saying is for some of you, if you choose to follow Him, you might not get married now. It might not look the way you thought it was going to look. That's not just on the girls, but the guys. You and I are really good. Oh, I can plan five years of my life. I know what it's going to look like. I know exactly what it's going to be. No, 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 It's like Jared was saying. Sometimes you know where you're supposed to be. You cannot get there. But if you stick with it and believe, this call of discipleship takes you to a place eventually that you turn back into. See, he was right. If you don't know it, Peter was crucified upside down. We don't even know how it happened. As a matter of fact, what gets weird to me is if you read the rest of John 21, you're going to find out. You never had Peter say, yes, Jesus, I'm following you. All you see is that Jesus turned around and saw Peter walking his way. Do you know how you and I know that Peter followed him? Twenty twenty-two years later, there were these two books of the church called 1 Peter and 2 Peter. And we figured out he followed until the end of his life. And there was that moment that some officials came to Peter and probably said this. We don't know exactly how it went down. You know what? You talk so much like Jesus. You act so much like Jesus. Why don't we just kill you the way we killed him? And we don't even know how it got turned upside down. The only assumption that we can make is that when they said we're going to crucify you, just like we crucified Jesus, he said, no, 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 no. Listen, don't let the picture of my crucifixion look like his. I'm not worthy. And so they turned him upside down so he would be dead faster. He told Peter how he was going to die to indicate how bad his death was going to be. But he said, it's going to glorify me. And you know what? We're talking about it 2,000 years later. And even though it hurt really bad, I promise you there was a moment when eternity kicked in for Peter. And Jesus said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You see, that's what we're here it's not all the stuff that we get in life, although it's good and it blesses us. The question is, are you willing to stick with this Christian life, no matter how hard it gets? If the only thing you give is well done, my good and faithful servant, I promise you, you will be happy for all eternity with that gift. But you have to be willing to go through the fire to get there. Thank you for listening to the Overflow Podcast. Please feel free to download and share with friends. We ask that you do not alter any of the previous content in any way. For more information about Overflow, feel free to visit us online at
1: overflowdenton.org.